We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. This is Cheryl Broderson in studio with my fellow podcaster and friend, Robin jones Gunn, And we had so much fun last week talking about Kahumanu, and we only touched the surface mm-hmm. of the story. We get to hear part two yes. today. I can't wait. Yes. So, But, you know, Robin, um, some things were brought up last week, and we talked about a couple of things. And you keep using this word, and you ended last week's show with the word aloha. Mm. Do you want to just go into what aloha means? Because you're going to probably use that word again and again during this time. Uh, It's made up of two concepts. And the first alo is literally Hawaiian for in your face, like Mm -hmm. face to face. And ha is breath, that breathing out. And the concept is that when you give your aloha to someone, and if you've ever been to Hawaii and you see the little brochures, oh, it means love, hello, goodbye. But right, right, right. It's because it encompasses that this person who is giving their aloha, if I was giving it to you in the Hawaiian tradition, I would come to you forehead to forehead, nose to nose, and I would breathe on you, and I would say aloha, which in essence I'm saying I entrust to you the essence of who I am. Wow. Ha, breath is life. Wow. And so I am, you're not my enemy. You're my friend. I come that close to entrust this essence to you. That is fantastic. Now, where have you thought of yes. that concept before yes. in scripture? Yes, absolutely. You've got it in Genesis chapter uh, two, when um, God breathes into Adam and he becomes a living being. Yes. Which is amazing. And it actually says God breathed in him the breath of life. That's right. That's Aha. right. Or in Hebrew. Um, ruach. Ruach. And yeah. then the Ruach Hashim, or the breath of the name. Wow. Which is, you know, Yahweh, the breath of Yahweh. And it always makes me think of John chapter 21, and when Jesus appears at the at the upper room after right. the resurrection, right. and he appears in the midst of them, and it says he breathed on them right. and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And that. he, yeah. I, you know, as a child hearing that in Sunday school, I would think that's so strange that Jesus would suddenly be there and you think of it like, oh, just you know, right, spreading yeah. your breath. But when you have that concept that he entrusted himself to them, right. receive the essence who I am. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? It is. It is. I don't know how I'd feel about the head-to-head with somebody else. (laughs) Well, in this day and age, it's It's a little intimate, right? Yeah. How intimate is that? I mean, to greet someone like that is very intimate. It's it's very um, tender. Yes, and some of the early missionary women tried to describe it, and they would say that these royal women would come to them and and press their nose against their nose. So it, it's they they didn't know what to do with that. Right, right. Like they would hold out their hand to shake hands, <laughs> and the women would embrace them. Wow! These large Hawaiian royal women would take these tiny little New England missionary women and press their nose. Against against theirs. And and I wondered if they know what a blessing they were pronouncing on them in doing that. 
because it really is a blessing and such Absolutely. a grace yeah. to do that and to be accepted like that, especially after they didn't do that with Captain Cook. So this is this is really stunning. All right. So But when you we, know, you brought that up with Captain Cook, but actually George Vancouver, explorer who had been with Cook, when he returned to the islands three more times, when Kamehameha the Great was dying, there's a record that he called for George Vancouver to come to him and he gave him his aloha. Wow. Which is astounding. Like here, come lean over as I'm on my deathbed, because that power, that mana that is considered to be passed on was so sacred. So Wow. Now, I um, wanted to say that when we left off with Kahumanu, Mm -hmm. the great Kamehameha had died. Yes. And now her kind of stepson, who she was very close Mm -hmm. to, whose name was? Liho Liho. Liho Liho. He's now the king. He already has five wives. Mm -hmm. 21 years old. But he has a great relationship and kind of looks to... Kahumanu for yes. leadership. Yes. But now he's about to go through this ordination. Yeah, cor- or coronation. coronation or, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And and again, we I just want to say at the front that it's with deep respect that I want to tell this story with that sense that pulling from as many sources as possible to be able to tell the story and to realize that it's not my culture, but I have such a affection for these people, and I, I want to be able to tell about them. Now, what island was the coronation taking place on? On the big island. Okay. Or the island of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And this is where the seat of the royalty family and the, all on the west side in the north, so you can kind of picture the island, and that area today is so familiar as being Kailua Kona. Okay. So we know Kona, Hawaii, mm-hmm. and then up up the coast. So where Liho Liho was waiting for the coronation to begin was 30 miles up that west coast of Big Island. And <clears throat> excuse me, it was 10 days of mourning where everyone wailed. It was such grieving and he waited in silence, almost in a quarantine, until he was called. Wow. So Kahumanu sent the canoes early in the morning after the 10 days of mourning had passed. And Liho Liho and his wives and his entourage were called to come to Kailua Kona, where a podium had been built with a background and fronds and beautiful ceremony ready to take place. And that morning in Kailua Kona, all the dogs were muzzled, all the chickens were taken away. People didn't speak. It was complete silence. Wow. So they waited, and here came from 30 miles up the coast uh, in a canoe that had 46 paddlers. Wow. Think how grand that was. Wow. And they paddled into— Was it like an outrigger then? Yes. Okay. Well, I, I don't know exactly, but it's yeah. just that speed and that power right. with 46 right. wow. paddlers mm-hmm. to get this royal entourage there. And Liho Liho arrives in this silence, expecting probably, as it had been always for these kinds of ceremonies, on this podium are all the chiefs and the priests because they hold all the power and they're in their feathered robes and mantle pieces 
holding their spears and the kahili, which is a stick with feathers like a lampshade almost that showed the the royal standard sort of thing wow. that we'd think mm-hmm. of. And so it's yellow and reds and it's great show of power and beauty and royal strength. Here came the canoe and when Liho Liho, I, I'm pretty sure he was carried off. He didn't get mm-hmm. off and walk in the water, but he's he's the next king right. as he's carried off. And he looks to the stage, and there's thousands of people gathered watching. And instead of just the priests and the the uh, chiefs, there's Kahumanu in the center of all of them. And she is wearing Kamehameha the Great's feathered robe that reaches to the floor. And in her hand is his sacred spear. Oh, my Here comes goodness. 21-year-old Liho Liho, like, I'm supposed to be king. What is going on right, here? Right. In silence, he approaches her, and she calls out, Oh, heavenly one, here are your priests. Here are the people of your ancestors. Here are your guns. Here are your lands. But you and I shall share the rule over the land. This was the will of your father. Wow. Everyone waited. What is he going to do? He has a spear in his hand. This could go a little crazy, but he bowed. He assented to her position and her power. Wow. The people were stunned. The priests went on with the ceremony, offering prayer. The silence was lifted. Everyone was cheering. There was this great feast that they all watched what kind of rule and leadership. And then the word spread among the islands. So as the word spreading and as Kahumanu's taken her position, there were so many old ways, the rules of women cannot eat with men. Women cannot eat bananas or coconuts or pig because they represent a certain God that the women can't interact with. And uh, these, these rules, these, the, they were called the kapus, or like we would maybe know it as a taboo, mm-hmm. that for six months, people saw her breaking a little taboo. She, she's eating a banana. Wow. What's she doing eating a banana? The gods are going to strike her dead. And she was okay because for all these years, she had been on ship, on board ship. She'd seen captains do things that were part of their rule system that a human couldn't do or... Just seeing how no one is receiving any punishment for breaking right. any of these right, like the rules. gods are the gods are powerless. The gods that are re- oppressing us are powerless. That's it. That's it exactly. Sure. Wow. So then, six months after this coronation, she holds a grand feast and she invites Liho Liho to come. You know, the honored guest. There's. So many people gathered there at Kailua Kona, and at the feast there are captains of ships that have come into port. There's anyone who's anyone of the higher upper classes there. And she presents the situation in a tangible challenge that Liho Liho either can go sit with the men apart from her or the seat that's saved for him right next to her and next to his birth mother. They're waiting for him to lower himself to come and sit with them because that would show all the people 
that the taboos are really broken. The kapus are done. And he wavers. Poor guy. (laughs) I just feel like this 21-year-old kid who's never seen a battle. He's just had everything brought to him, gifts and wives. And now he's wavering. He's kind of walking around the men's table. Hey, how are you doing? (laughs) Then he goes and he does sit down next to Kahumanu and begins eating. And the people just just break out in cheers, free wow. eating. The, you know, the, the law is broken. And that night, the false gods, the tiki gods are smashed and burned. And there's wow. just this wild kind of uh, battles between the old priests trying to keep their power and the wow. new way of mm-hmm. Pahumanu, all decided by her subtle waiting until the right time to do it. And the God thing of it all is that it was only five months later that the first company of missionaries from New England came sailing into that exact same area. And was Lucy Thurston, who we heard yes. about before, part of that company? Yes, oh, wow. that was our Lucy. And remember, yes. if, if you've listened to that podcast, that um, these young children paddled out to her um, portal, they handed her a banana. Right. And that's because five months earlier, she that, yes. and everybody's eating bananas and coconuts <laughs> and roasted pig. No wonder it's everyone's eating. Yes. Yes. So when the first company of missionaries arrived, um, the news came to the ship that the king had died and the old gods were now powerless. And what Kahumanu noticed was that they came with women and children. Mm. Now, the, all the other ships that had come for, what is it, 35 years now or more, that they, they came because they wanted something. Mm-hmm. The traders came because they wanted the Hawaiians to cut down the sandalwood so they could take it and trade it, and it would go to China and be made into beautiful furniture, and the forests were being stripped Mm. and the explorers would come wanting to plant their flag because they wanted their country to have this strategic location in the Pacific and then the whalers started coming and there they were they want supplies and they so it was curious to Kahumano like what did you come to take from us Mm. everyone else for decades has come to take and the women were (laughs) saying we we came to give we want to um tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. And it was at that time, there's a void. There's no more old gods. Mm -hmm. We just have this Western influence. We don't know what to believe. Mm. Isn't that amazing how God prepared them? Yes. Yes. I read a book. Was it Raised in Righteousness? Uh, Oh, um, uh, Perpetuated in Righteousness by Daniel Kikawa. Yes, years ago. Everyone should read that book. It's fabulous. Yes, and he was talking about the void. That mm-hmm. was created. It was, um, and I and I believe he talked about how I think it was Queen uh, Kahumanu with others went up on a hill, and said, "Will the real God please? We know you're, we know you're God, and we know you have a son. Will you please reveal yourself to us?" I think that was Kapiolani. I'm okay. not sure, but mm-hmm. that that was the the settling of their. Or, or the searching of their hearts because mm. of that void. Mm-hmm. The, the way had been prepared. That's mm-hmm. the way to say it, mm. which is just amazing. So when the missionaries arrived, um, they she Kahubanu had just 
change the uh, move the capital from Kailua Kona to Honolulu, and that was because of all the ships that were docking there mm. in Honolulu. In uh, that first year, when the missionaries arrived, there were two whaling ships that came that year. The very next year, there were thirty whalers oh. that came. So, did she come to? Did she go to protect them? Is uh, protect the islands when she moved? Or that was where the action was. Yes. Okay. So her power could be. Mm-hmm carried out there as more and more were mm-hmm. settling in that area and wanting to get their piece of land and mm-hmm. build their grog shops and mm-hmm. these oh. things. So she had that rule. But you you compare this so that, that second year, 30 whale, whaling ships, and uh, 20 years later, they had the most ships ever recorded in port in one year. It was 736 ships in port Think of the sailors, think of the disease, think of the mm-hmm. greed and the mm-hmm. influence because they're from ships all over the world. And Japan was still closed to the outside world at that time. So Hawaii was the closest land in the Pacific to 2,500 miles away from any other land. But mm-hmm. So there would be trading. Now, I had heard, um, I think it was my mother told me, that before the missionaries came, um, the girls were being naked and exploited and taken. Uh, sorry, the girls, because they were naked, were being exploited and raped by some of these soldiers. They're getting drunk, you know, and they're coming yep. in and they're exploiting. Yes. For years and years, there were sort of two parts of it. One was that with the Hawaiian class system, the ali'i, the royals that for many years had eaten the best and were warriors, they were tall and strong and sturdy. The commoners who did all the work, like serfs in a, Mm -hmm. you know, British kind of kingdom, were uh, obviously less advantages, Mm -hmm. had to pay their taxes to the royalty, and were smaller people, their nutrition hadn't. So those families were, the Hawaiian families of the commoners were in support of their daughters swimming out to the ships, climbing up the ropes, and being with the sailors because the sailors would give them something. Mm. So they would gift them a little needle and thread. I don't know. You know, just a little something. And that would raise the value of that commoner's poverty because they had a tool. If there Mm -hmm. was any metal, just think Mm -hmm. there'd been no metal in Mm -hmm. Hawaii for all those years. And now the ships are loaded with all kinds of nails and... Mm. Right, building materials and everything, right. Wow. So very true and very wrong. And I read the diaries of Captain Cook. When he sailed into Hawaii, he had the names. He knew which one of his sailors on his ship had uh, STD, which ones had venereal disease and syphilis. Mm-hmm. And he banned them from going on shore, mm. which they didn't all obey. And when they didn't go on shore and stayed on ship and the girls came to them, oh. the disease spread. And he, and he wrote about it. He just, mm-hmm. it, it, it was a deep, deep, deep agony to him because mm-hmm. he knew right. in this pristine place what was happening. Oh, and sad. The corruption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have this uh, arrival of the missionaries, and Kahumanu 
where she didn't pay much attention to him. She told them, you can stay here for a year. And actually, there's accounts of when they would stretch out their hand to let's shake hands and be friends. She would just extend her pinky. And you could, like, shake the royal pinky Mm -hmm. kind of thing because she knew she was large and in charge. Wow. And these tiny little women, what Mm -hmm. are you doing here? Right. But what's interesting is they wanted the... Kahumanu wanted their kind of clothing to have that mm-hmm. fabric and the right. frills. And mm-hmm. missionaries didn't really have frills, but it was just this, right. this influence from the West. So then when the missionaries settled in the islands, all of them had the same goal to focus on creating uh, an alphabet of the Hawaiian language and to be able to prepare primers that would teach the Hawaiian, uh, starting with the royalty, teach them how to read and then how to write. It took one year and nine months to establish a written language. And they had brought with them a printing press. Mm. And um, Brother Loomis was the printer. And as soon as they had command enough of the language, the first thing that came off the press was the printing of the words in Hawaiian Hey aloha keakua, which is God is love. Wow. And the people are looking at them. What mm-hmm. does this say? What does mm-hmm. this mean? Who is this God? And the missionaries would tell them the mm-hmm. one true God, the creator who mm-hmm. rules all the earth. So as the missionaries are beginning to print the primers and teach the royalty to read, they wanted Kahumanu to know how to read and write because these these other countries are coming in here, sign this document, right. and we'll right. take oh, whatever right. this document so says exploiting. because mm-hmm. you can't read it. No one's telling you you can't mm-hmm. read or write. Mm-hmm. And so they really wanted her to have that learning, but she wasn't that interested. Mm. She was mm-hmm. like everybody else can, can learn to do that. And... Um, the one royal student who really jumped in was the one that I told about in Lucy Thurston's story, Kamehameha the Third, mm-hmm. who then became king when he was twelve years old. But he was a quick learner, and so without her interest in learning to read or write, she um, really saw that she had that place of power. But she became very ill, mm. and the missionaries. Hiram, Hiram and Sybil Bingham came to visit her every day. Wow. And sweet Sybil prayed with her mm. and prayed that she'd get better, and she did. Mm. And then Sybil asked her, may I teach you to read? Because she'd been reading to her mm. and wanted to mm-hmm. give Kahumanu this ability to, to read and write and, and gave her a primer. And Kahumanu learned so quickly in less than two days. She... Oh, my goodness. She Very had, brilliant. Oh, Hawaiians are just so brilliant that so many years of the oral tradition repeating mm-hmm. in their right. clever wow. minds. So once she began to read and write, then she was tutored and she really, her her, her power expanded. And she would, she would pay a little more attention to the missionaries and the meetings. But she knew everyone went to, to church on Sundays. And what she had done at this time is taken um, two more husbands because Kamehameha the Great had died. So this was actually the the governor, the ruler of the island of Kauai. And she sort of tricked him and his son into c- coming 
to Oahu, and then she married them both. Oh my goodness! <laughs> because you have to see how the old ways and the new ways, right. and right. the Hawaiians trying to figure out what's right for right. us. Right. And right. Oh, I mean, so much yeah. inner conflict of trying mm-hmm. to understand. So she was given a gift of this grand carriage with upholstered seats. And uh, what she did was she put her husband inside the carriage on the upholstered seats and her and his son on the back like a footman. And then she sat in the front and held the reins. Oh. But she didn't have... 10 horses, so the carriage was hooked up to 10 kanakas, 10 men, 10 large men who pulled the carriage. And her favorite thing was to go by where the church meetings were on Sunday morning, and everyone knew who held the reins in this land. Wow, yes. Because she made her presence known. Wow. So... After the church service, she knew that that's when Sunday lunch was really good uh, with the missionaries at the mission house and they gathered. So she would go on her carriage. She would go surfing at Waikiki and she would come back and hang out at the mission house until she was invited to stay for lunch. And our Lucy Thurston, we had the podcast on, Lucy Thurston wrote about Kahumanu that she would come into the mission house and sat on the settee with ease. The missionaries didn't know where to look because she came as if from Eden in the dress of innocence. Oh, my goodness. Does that so we're talking, a picture? Yes, she's naked. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's wrapped with, we'd probably call it a sarong, but it's a, yeah. a kihei or a, mm-hmm. a kappa cloth. and. But very comfortable. So, again, the old ways, the new Mm -hmm. ways. 300 pounds of... On the settee. Right. So, Lucy also said, and this is where we'll conclude this episode. There's there's more that we'll talk about. We're going to go to number three. We know that we're talking about her as a woman worth knowing. Right. Because of what God did in and through her life. Right. And we haven't gotten to how that happened yet, but you can see what she came from, this power. And this is what Lucy Thurston said. For a long time, she stood aloof from the influence of the missionaries, was haughty, proud, and disdainful in their presence, and frequently passed them without speaking to them. But the gospel, at length, took hold of her mind and through the influence of the Holy Ghost, wrought a great and permanent and salutary change in her character. Soon after her conversion, she made a tour of the islands. The people were astonished at the change in her. Wow. She became distinguished for her humility, kindness, and the affability of her deportment regarding the missionaries as her own children and treated them with the tenderness of maternal love. This is a significant change. It is. And when we come back for the next part, I'm going to tell you how that happened, the change in the heart of Ka'ahumanu, an extraordinary Hawaiian woman. So we're kind of saving the uh, best for part three. Yes. But it, it is important to set up the context 
because it almost looks impossible with this grandiose, and she's got all the power. I mean, it doesn't necessarily um, come in her best interest to um, listen to these missionaries. Yeah, lower herself, maybe, right? Or the curiosity, how long will they last? Right, right, because she's got everything she wants and needs right now. But I'm really excited about part three. So I think you are too, and I can't wait for you to come back and join us. And you know what, Robin? You did promise me that in part three, you're going to tell me the story of the Moo. Well, I'll tell you right now, Cheryl. <laughs> I won't make you wait. So uh, as I mentioned in this podcast, Kahumanu asked for clothes that would be of the fabrics that the Westerners were bringing on ships and that um, the, the missionary women wore. And the very first company of missionaries that arrived, uh, Liho Liho was the king at that time, and his one of his wives requested immediately for the missionary women to make her a dress. And they said, we cannot begin tomorrow. It is the Sabbath, but we will begin on Monday. And they went to work. And, and Liho Liho's wife had been given some fabric from a trader, sailor, somebody, but he didn't know what to do with it. So those missionary women, I think there were three or four of them that sat in their little sewing bee circle, and they started measuring, and, and they sewed this dress and had it done within, I think, a day and day and a half. They hadn't even gone on land yet to say, we're here, we've been at wow. sea, wow. sailing here for five months. They had just come, and they were asked, and that was their first act of service wow. and of love. Yes, we'll make a dress for you. And Leho Leho's wife just was thrilled with it, apparently, because it was it met with her what she wanted. So from then on, there was just this sense of that status, that royalty, oh. that look what she is wearing. And the curiosity, feel the fabric, how did they stitch it? Many Hawaiian women wanted to learn how to sew. How do we do that? Mm -hmm. So even in Lucy's account, it was just, that's how it is. Here's Kahumanu, fresh from Eden in the dress of innocence. But there's not any additional commentary like, we told her to go put right. on some clothes. Right. Come on. Yeah. But that it's so this good. understanding of right. the culture. The culture. Mm -hmm. And we just will avert our eyes because mm -hmm. it's sh shocking to us little New England women in our many right. layers. But that began then to be part of the process as the missionaries were having schools and teaching them to read. And there were fabrics made available. And then there was this, everybody wanted clothes, mm -hmm. everybody. But there was one that they made that we call the mumus. Uh, I forgot what it's called. Well, holo holo is a Hawaiian term for like, hey, we're going to go run about, mm -hmm. scoot about. We're going to go holo holo. And so the uh, I think that was part of the name of what they called it because when they put on these, what they called the Mother Hubbard or the Moo Moo or these, mm -hmm. you know, I, many Hawaiian women still wear them, right. I can tell you. and uh, Kind of unfitted um, dresses. Gowny mm -hmm. kind of, yeah. Long and cool. Yeah, but when they put them on, when the Hawaiian women put them on and there was so much room, they said, oh, I can... I can run the holo holo mm. concept, so they, I think that's in the name of it, and that was desirable. Then they could roll it up if needed, wow. or 
you know, mm-hmm. gather things in in the long skirt. Mm. So it was it was more desired than it's usually talked about. Right. And, and there are probably some missionaries who said, you may not come to my church unless you have something mm-hmm. on. I don't know. I haven't come across that. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't doubt that. Right. Because there were some missionaries who were much more rigid in holding mm-hmm. on to their New England ways mm-hmm. and their culture. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you're going to come be part of mm-hmm. what's going on here, we don't want everybody distracted, put some clothes on. Mm-hmm. My mom read, and I don't know where, that the moomoos actually became a status symbol. And the longer the back skirt on it, uh, the more aristocracy or yep. you know, royal the person was, uh, the longer the, the train yes. on the dress. Yes, and there was just that sense that you had elevated yourself because you had acquired the the clothing. The men, not so much. Well, they right. would um, be gifted with British military uniforms. Right. That's what Liho Liho wore the day mm-hmm. of his coronation on that canoe with the thirty or with forty six paddlers. Wow. He he dressed that morning in this uniform. He was over six feet tall. It was a specially made. British regal uniform, and then he had the feather cape over his shoulders. Wow. One of the feather capes sight. that had belonged to yes. Kamehameha the Great. But that that sense that the status mm-hmm. is part of it. That's so interesting. Well, that's it for this week. And we gave you a little extra there, but you're going to want to come back and hear about Kahumanu and how she changed and what happened after Uh, The influence of the Holy Spirit came upon her when she received the breath of aloha from the Lord. So join us next week. This is Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. I'm just going to say your name. Do it. Okay. (laughs) I've been doing all the talking. You can say whatever you want. (laughs) Saying aloha for this week, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and our new co-host, Robin Gunn. For more information about Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information about Robin, visit RobinGunn.com, that's gun with two N's, or follow her on Instagram and Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WWK at CCCM.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Gunn.